When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Yeah, yeah. They didn't teach me this in classes, everything is in earned. So what you gotta do with fascists, I'll stay in a term. You gotta go against, sort of like the folks out in port of prince Dodge the cops for the capture you, make sure the prince and put up your defense. Gotta make it sure, cause them have them people come at you, knocking at your door. It's Orwellian, there's no telling when, start rebelling in. Everybody can do it, don't matter what your melanin. Learn from mistakes and maybe never fail again. And we need more people for the fight, go and tell a friend. I'm trying to talk, don't make me rap. Just waiting on reparations, nigga, pay me back. Dope. Yeah. Dope. 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 Hey. Hey. Dope knife. I'm Lingua Franca. We are waiting on reparations. Heard that shit up, B. So much to cover today. Um, shit. You just want to just want to get into it? Should we just? Let's get into it. Let's give the people what they want, what they need. Today we're going to talk about the political situation in Haiti. Haitian entrepreneur turned president Jovenel Moyes had his term officially end on February 7th, but pleasantly decided not to leave and to continue governing for another 12 months, citing that he took office a year before, after being voted in. And the people are not having this function. <laughs> people have been protesting in Port-au-Prince by the thousands, calling for his resignation or even new elections with the suspicion that his term extension is a stalling tactic to gain more power. And since taking office, his regime has been shrouded, just, just um, mired in corruption charges. Just ne- balls deep in corruption over there. Now, the police and government-sanctioned militias are using lethal force against these protesters to the tune of like 180 people dead over the last two years. And even by the time you hear this episode, that, that number is most definitely risen. Um, the situation is quite simply spiraling, just to be honest with you. Haiti is burning. And the reason that you're not seeing it on your, you know, usual news sources is because this has the full backing of the U.S. Uh, Trump had the same policy towards them. Biden has the same policy towards them. So we're pretty much, you know, sponsoring a, a authoritarian fascist regime right down the street, you know, globally speaking. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that, a little bit of the history of Haiti's political turmoil, and we'll chat with journalist, activist, and politician Eugene Prier about his recent experiences covering the Haiti uprising against authoritarianism and government corruption. We're also going to check out a couple Haitian hip-hop and R&B artists and see what type, if any, connection they have to the ongoing political situation there. You know how we do. We'll have all that more after the jump. 
And we're back. And we're going to dig into a bit of Haiti's history of uprisings. Um, Haiti has a storied history of rebellion against the ruling class. And I just like, I just really want to briefly highlight in our discussion of Haitian politics, how fucking dope the <laughs> Haitian revolution was. For listeners who may not have learned about it in school, and you know, fucking course you wouldn't have because they don't want colonized people replicating that shit all over the world. But yeah, this is going to be an extremely rudimentary breakdown of the Haitian revolution. And I highly recommend listeners check out the Black Je- Jacobins by CLR James for a more in-depth account of what went down in Haiti in the 1790s. So the history of Haiti's founding is one that weighs heavily on the people who are in the streets today. Pretty much, Christopher Columbus, he claimed one half of it for the Spanish crown in 1625. Then the French claimed the other half in 1660, and the two nations started fighting over control of the territory. The Spanish ultimately ceded the land to the French in 1697, in, in the end result, Haiti had over a hundred years of rule by two European powers for the right to oversee one of the wealthiest colonies that was heavily dependent on African slave labor to run the sugar plantation. There's so many parallels in like the way shit went down in Haiti, down to the fact that Christopher Columbus, quote unquote, discovered Haiti in 1492. Where have we heard that before? Mm. Heavy quotation um, so, marks on that. Heavy quotation marks. Heavy. Shout out to the Taino people who were there first. Um, life on San Domingue, as they called it then, or San Domingo, was broken down into three classes. You had LeBlancs, so the white colonists, which were further subdivided into plantation owners and lower class whites who were often overseers and day laborers. And then you had the gens de color libre, or the free black folks, who were usually mixed race children of slavers who had, or people who had purchased their freedom. And then interestingly, some of them owned and operated their own plantations and owned slaves. And then there was a third group, the African-born slaves, who vastly outnumbered the other groups. I'm talking like 10 to 1. And I break all this down because it very, again, very closely mirrors the class system and demographic breakdown of many parts of the antebellum South, which is precisely why the Haitian Revolution scared the shit out of Americans at the time, and probably why we don't learn about it in school today. Anyway, so these three fucking groups... So Anyway, so these three groups fucking hated each other. <laughs> As historian Paul Fergosi put it, the poor whites couldn't stand the rich whites, and the rich whites despised the poor whites. The middle-class whites were jealous of the aristocratic whites, and the whites born in France looked down upon the locally born whites. Mulattoes envied the whites, despised the blacks, and were despised by the whites. Free Negroes brutalized those who were still slaves. Haitian-born blacks regarded those from Africa as savages. Everyone, quite rightfully, lived in terror of everyone else. I would, I, it's funny because when you when you read that quote, I picture like the player haters ball, just like hate, 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 hate. I hate the just way like, you look. Just hate. I hate your smile. I hate the I hate the way you smell. <laughs> just like the niggas just hating on each other. Um, when heads started rolling in France during the French Revolution, and the National Assembly published the Declaration of Rights of Man and the Citizens, declaring all men free and equal, everybody in Haiti was like, "Oh, word." <laughs> but for their own separate class-driven reasons. The whites wanted independence from France. The free blacks were agitating for suffrage. One prominent freedman leading a 300-person siege on the largest, busiest Haitian port in the name of ending racial discrimination. While the enslaved Africans kind of stood by the side, you know, just kind of watching. And that was all until the night, one night in August 21st, 1791. Oh yeah, taking a cue from the message of the French Revolution, the Haitians launched a revolt. Thousands of slaves attending a secret voodoo ceremony as a tropical storm God came in. And, and later that night, returning to their plantations, began to kill their masters, plunging the colony into civil war. Within the next 10 days, slaves had taken control of the entire northern province of Haiti. And within weeks, the number of slaves who joined the revolt in the north reached 100,000. Within two months, as the violence escalated, the slaves killed 4,000 whites and burned and destroyed 180 sugar plantations and hundreds of coffee and indigo plantations. By 1792, slave rebels controlled a third of the island. That's making you, that's making you hot right there, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, okay, and I want to make very clear, it's not because I'm for violent revolution. It's because, like, the, 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 they outnumbered the, their oppressors 10 to 1. And they decided they weren't going to take it anymore. And, like, I really feel like it comes back to what I was saying at the top. Or I was saying, no, what I was saying last episode about the power of the people. Like, if we just realize we outnumber the people who are making our lives hell, 
and just say we ain't gonna take it anymore, and that can take the form of a general strike. Everybody's walking off the job, shutting down ports, shutting down factories, shutting down highways, just bringing society to a standstill. Like, you can change things. By 1804, Haiti was an independent republic. Like, and they did, all, all it took was a couple thousand slaves being like, nah, nigga, like, <laughs> no. There's 10 of us for each one of you. We ain't gonna pick your fucking... You know, we ain't got any coffee beans no more. And I think historically, so, it was historically it was only Haiti and uh, Ethiopia that that ended up doing that, right? Kind of like I didn't know about Ethiopia. We have to do another episode yeah, on that. Yeah, I mean, Ethiopia wasn't having that shit either. It was like fuck that. But um, so from you know, after gaining independence and the Republic of Haiti officially being born, there was the task of unifying the country. Overcoming a brief American occupation. Con- of course, we couldn't fucking just stay in our business. Contested election after contested election, coup attempts, actual coups. Political struggle runs deep in the nation's history. Several regimes in Haiti have been described as fascist regimes, from uh, Louis Bo- Louis Borno and the later government of Francois Duvalier. Yeah, that brings us to present day. And I think contextualizes some of, I think, what Eugene talks about in a minute around just, like, the uniqueness of the way people are organizing and taking to the streets in Haiti right now. It's, like, in it's kind of in people's blood. Mm-hmm. So let's get into talking about Jovenel Moyes and some of the current context. Born in 1968, Jovenel Moyes was a Haitian businessman with his hands in a little bit of everything. He had an auto parts business, banana plantation drinking water distribution, and many other ventures. He was handpicked by his predecessor, Michel Martelly, to run as the presidential candidate back in 2015 under the Haitian Tet Kale Party, or PHTK. Martelly himself founded that in 2012. He ran on a platform that promoted bioecological agriculture as the backbone of Haiti's economy. With, you know, it's got over 50% rural population, and he supported universal education and healthcare. Energy reform, rule of law, environmental protection, and development of Haiti as a destination for ecoterrorism. This all sounds good so far, right? Sounds. I know it sounds like, sounds like hey, you know, maybe I could get in line for you, bro. You know? Universal education. But as you'll hear, his rise to power just from the outset was marred in controversy, and the current protests that are going on over him, in particular, is not new. It's just gotten more intense. Yeah, so exit polling after the election showed him receiving only 6% of the vote. But then he was given 32%, qualifying him to participate in a runoff election against June Celestine, the second place finisher. So out the gate, he was met with massive protests and calls of fraud. 2016 runoff was called in his favor only off of preliminary results. Ain't that some shit? Mm. With an estimated Mm. 21% voter turnout total. Uh, the dispute over his mandate saw an interim president installed. And finally, after getting 55% in a, of the vote in another special election, he was sworn in 2017. What a shit show. Anyway, so in Port-au-Prince, there's gang warfare in the streets among competing factions who support or oppose Moyes. And there's a lot of suspicion that the rising murder rate and the unprecedented number of kidnapping networks has ties to the Moyes government with the accusation that he's using violence and kidnappings to scare opposition and the population at large. In 2018, a massacre took place in the La Saline part of Port-au-Prince, carried out by the G9 gang, which is probably the most notorious of these gangs that are operating there. Uh, They have long suspected ties to Mosaic. 70 people were killed in 14 hours, and and the U.S. would eventually implicate and sanction two members of his administration for planning the attacks and providing weapons to the G9 in order to quell corruption protests, or in order to to quell anti-corruption protests. This all took place after the U.N. pulled out peacekeeping troops who were there on a 13-year occupation. So it's like they waited for the moment to strike. So yeah, things are going real well. So yeah, earlier this year, he's like, I ain't stepping down. I got another year. I'm staying in office. Y'all can't get rid of me. And the people weren't having it. So we're going to talk to journalist Eugene Perrier, who was recently on the ground and got to witness things firsthand to help get a better understanding of what is happening in Haiti. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, 
Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today, I'm joined by journalist, activist, and politician, Eugene Perrier. Eugene is a founding member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, and in 2008 and 2016, ran as their vice presidential candidate. Um, he's also the author of Shackled and Chained, Mass Incarceration in Capitalist America, and is host of the show, The Freedom Side, on Breakthrough News. He also recently returned from Haiti, where he and his team covered the uprising against authoritarianism and government corruption there. Thanks so much for being here, Eugene. And to start, I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about why you and your team decided to go to Haiti. Yeah, well, you know, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here and, you know, to have the opportunity to, to share what we saw. Because the reason we really went to Haiti um, with our Breakthrough News team is, you know, it was obvious from the outside looking in that there was a major popular struggle breaking out in Haiti. But the state of media on Haiti is basically disaster porn by and large, like people yeah. just looking for the most sensational images. And we knew that there was a lot more to it, obviously, like in, in terms of the broader geopolitics of it and what was going on domestically. And, you know, could we find a way to get there on the ground, to get the voices of the people who are involved in this movement, to try to give people a sense that it's not just sort of, uh, you know, Haitians as as objects, but as subjects. And, you know, really that people are, you know, engaged in an attempt to take their own lives into their own hands and make major changes in the country. But the U.S. and the, the OAS and these other institutions playing such a huge role and seeing how so much of what is happening there is is not by accident. It's not endemic, but it's really imposed. So, you know, that's why we wanted to be there. And, and we were there specifically around the Constitution Day, um, the, the day that it was, celebrates the 1987 Constitution, uh, because there is such a major attack on that right now. So we were also there for that sort of particular uh, moment. Yeah, so protests in Haiti have been going on since 2018 in response to rising fuel prices and have evolved into the demands for the removal of President Jovenel Moise. Can you fill in listeners a little bit of, of the background on the current unrest, what has happened in the years since? Um, the current uprising has started and what how things came to a tipping point recently. Absolutely. So, you know, I working backwards, I would say that what has really uh, made this crisis erupt in a, in a huge way from 
kind of early February on until now has been that on February 7th was the end of President Moise's term. And he just unilaterally decided that he was going to say, well, actually, my term ends next year. So I'm just going to remain as the president at this point. Uh, and, and the justice system more or less had come to a halt. Uh, and so it was ruling principally as a dictator. And so the level of, of anger against him for many reasons rose to a fever pitch because he was refusing to give up power uh, in the context of, of this you know, technical democratic system of Haiti. But it's also tied to the already existing deep anger that had existed with Moyes since 2018, really. And, you know, this was when a scandal emerged when there was about three point, about $3 billion in development aid from Venezuela that was embezzled and stolen by Moyes and his cronies and his party, the PHTK. Uh, and given the discrepancy between the large amount of poverty and, and, and oppression faced by so many people in Haiti uh, and billions of dollars of development aid being stolen. It was really a, a, a tipping point for a lot of people um, that Moyes had to go, but he was able to hang on for the rest of his term. But now he's decided to overstay his term and it has really sort of pushed people to come back out, not just because he's overstaying his term directly, but because it represents an undemocratic imposition of this, this extraordinarily uh, brutal social system. So tell us a little bit about what the protest have looked like and what the government's response has been? You know, the protests in Haiti are amazing on so many different levels. Um, and, and, you know, folks go to at BT Newsroom, they can see some of our coverage from being out there. I mean, I would say, you know, one thing that is definitely very notable about all Haitian protests is the role of music is definitely very big. Uh, you know, on the biggest protest on Sunday, well, actually on both, but uh, the bigger one that we were at is uh, the, in the lead up to Constitution Day. There was a giant sound truck like in the front of the thing, just mainly blasting music. I saw two different brass bands. Um, you know, they were just, I mean, just very, just suffused throughout it, um, a huge amount of cultural expression, which I think is fantastic. Uh, it was a lot, it was a huge demonstration. I mean, it was definitely over 100,000 people. And, you know, Port-au-Prince, where, where we were for most of the demonstrations, although we did get out into the rural areas on some previous days. Um, but Port-au-Prince is pretty spread out. So the marches, uh, there'll be like one general place it starts from, but people will come from other places. So there's this amazing area of Port-au-Prince, it's known as the Crossroads of Resistance, um, where people meet up from all the different parts of, of Port-au-Prince, and then demonstrations continue from that point to, to many other places. So it's a massive, this massive convergence of people um, that is there. And, it, and I would say that you know, it locks down significant parts of the city. So it has a big economic impact, um, you know, almost like a, a strike or a super effective boycott um, as well. Just the fact of having these mass demonstrations. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's almost kind of hard to explain in a way, but it's the level of of, of just, just raw enthusiasm for people to like take down Jovenel Moyes. And people are so... Uh, Turn, like no one really has a lot of doubts that they're going to succeed. That, I would say that's the other thing um, about the nature of the demonstrations is the chants and things like that are very much not like, you know, uh, we want you to do this. It's sort of like, not only are you going to do like, not only should you do this, but you are going to do this and we will ultimately be victorious. So um, not those exact words, but in that vein. So yeah, definitely it, it's, it's a powerful experience. And, you know, even just the sort of cultural environment around you, um, so Haiti is actually the only country in the world that has a street named after John Brown. So in like a, just kind of a surreal moment in one of these marches, um, Juan, who is uh, also there with me at Breakthrough News, points out we're on John Brown uh, Avenue or whatever, Boulevard. So we're going, we're doing different things. And then the demonstration takes a left. And when we take a left, I look at the street sign, I notice that it's the Martin Luther King Street. So I just said, well, this is wild to be like, in a march in Haiti on John Brown Boulevard, turning onto Martin Luther King uh, Street there. Uh, and then the level of internationalism also is very high in the protests because people are very cognizant of the role that that uh, these other countries are playing, these imperialist countries. So um, that's also something you see a lot of, uh, you know, I saw some American flags were burned. There was definitely a lot of feeling, a lot of anger that people have that uh, Biden is so squarely behind Moist. So that was definitely heavily expressed. And then, so I would love to talk to you more about um, 
some of the larger sociopolitical issues that the, the current unrest sort of like has arisen out of. You mentioned imperialism, the Biden administration. But first, what has the government's response been to uh, this this uprising? You know, it's been brutal repression. I mean, you know, many protests, of course, have been fired on with live rounds, with the so-called non-lethal ammunition. Uh, you know, there's been beatings of journalists and things like that. So. Just from that perspective, um, there's been a lot of sort of, I mean, the larger the demonstration, usually the less open the repression is because, you know, to some degree, even though there's not a lot of coverage, I think they have some sense that, you know, their benefactors around the world would not like for them to see too much. Um, but definitely it's, it's significant and it's notable. And I would say also, there's really sort of like a strategy of tension at play that the government is, is playing some role in, although it's not clear, at least to me, 100% um, what that is. So, you know, a lot of the folks are talking about the level of violence in Haiti and how um, there has been the 200% increase in kidnappings in the past year uh, and so on and so forth. And there's no doubt that that, that is in fact the case. Um, there has been really increase in kidnapping as kind of a crime of desperation, but also violence more generally has gone up as there has, so th th there's really a security vacuum in Haiti. And there's no real, it's it's entirely, I mean, it's just amazingly neoliberal. There's almost no public services, uh, almost no social services. Um, you know, like uh, even the cops, which technically are controlled by Moyes, half the cops have quit. So there's very little state capacity. So there's a lot of entities, they're, they're called gangs. I don't know if that's even the best way to describe them. Um, that have arisen that uh, are providing some form of like basic social government security services. Uh, I think they have sort of differing, you know, ideologies, goals, positions. But there's a lot of inf a lot of a lot of inter uh, intermural rivalry, if you will, between them, and a lot of killings and, and other attacks are driven by these sorts of conflicts that are sort of presented as gang conflicts. But when you talk to people on the ground, and honestly, when you just sort of observe it at a bird's eye view and sort of see it all at once, you know, it's very clear that some of the people who are being targeted and some of the neighborhoods that are being targeted, like in Bel Air, are centers of the popular struggle. Um, and places that have always been targeted by death squads, by, you know, the occupation forces doing the UN occupation and an attempt to prevent, to scare people from coming out and being a part of demonstrations. So Bel Air has been in the news internationally quite a bit in the past few weeks because of, you know, a number of killings that have happened there. And it really doesn't seem like there is uh, a coincidence there that a, a neighborhood that has strong popular resistance is also being heavily targeted by violence. Now, you know, there's a lot of sides to that story. Some of the people who are accused of working with Moyes uh, are saying they never have, they're not working with him at all. You know, there's some accusations of the U.S. working directly with some of these people, not just through Moyes. Uh, and there's a long history in Haiti of this kind of, uh, uh, you know, vigilante paramilitary style violence um, driven by right wing governments uh, in, in an attempt to quell popular uh, uh, popular activity in Haiti. So it, it's 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 definitely a huge piece of the fa of the landscape. And I think something worth understanding about the nature of like, quote unquote, violence of Haiti when we hear Haiti is violent, is that there really is definitely from the government, I think, a, a strategy of essentially using an element of chaos, I think, to benefit their uh, attempts to keep people from wanting to come out and, and, and uh, be on the streets. Yeah, and I think I, um, I appreciate you speaking to like the relationship between some of the violence and neoliberalism, the shrinking of the state and like the state's capacity. I think um, as we in this show look at different um, issues happening in other countries, they oftentimes can shine a new kind of light on issues that we are experiencing here at home. Were there any sort of lessons you drew from your experience in Haiti around their organizing, what they're getting done, what they're calling for? that you think might hold lessons for us here in the States with regards to the, uh, our own uprising that's happening here right now. I'm glad you've actually brought that up because there's definitely a consciousness there in Haiti and the popular movement about what has been going on here. Um, you know, one of the things that we were able to capture, and this is also, you can see it on our social media, at BT Newsroom on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, like we found a beautiful mural uh, in honor of George Floyd in Port-au-Prince, mm -hmm. just randomly driving around. Uh, when we were out in the countryside, talking to peasants who were fighting land grabs, one guy, a sugarcane farmer, told us, you know, they're just trying to choke us out like they did George Floyd. Um, and, you know, people definitely are asking people to take action in the United States, 
but because they also don't think it's like a lost cause. Like people know things are happening. And so they want, they're hoping that people will take up Haiti also amongst other issues they say people take it up. And then culturally, you know, Black America, uh, you know, for better or for worse, the sort of entertainment elements of Black culture produced by the capitalist, you know, entertainment, arts, media, definitely has an impact on Haiti as well. So even some of that, I mean, you know, I was at a community meeting um, and a young woman would actually ask me a question about what was the role of black capitalists in the current movement because they were getting a lot of, and I don't want anyone to come after me, I'm just reporting what was said. Uh, she was saying that Beyonce uh, was had become so popular recently and was getting promoted more in Haiti and was, you know, it was sort of in the midst of sort of trying to give like American blackness as a sign of the ability to have upward mobility in a capitalist system and whether or not sort of black capitalism was becoming uh, a big stumbling block to the movement here and how people were organizing around it. So, you know, there's sort of both sort of like abstract and I think kind of direct links just about the sort of way the Americas are linked together culturally, um, which was powerful. But I think one that is one of the things I will take away is, you know, there's a really strong internationalist element to a lot of the popular movements that are happening in Haiti. And we were able to meet, like I said, with, with peasants, you know, who in addition to some of the things I already said, you know, were telling us about how, you know, they're modeling some of what they're doing on the landless workers movement in Brazil. And, you know, they're looking to be part of, of a worldwide movement of, of, of peasants and small farmers uh, that are pushing to have sustainable food sovereignty oriented agriculture in their areas. Uh, you know, we're in community, we were in like a small community school with the Che Guevara mural, talking to a women's organization that works on a range of different fronts, both from the political to sort of mutual aid style, you know, I guess sort of informal economy business projects, but really to help people build up their self-sufficiency, uh, you know, and, and their consciousness was very much shaped around the need and the understanding and they're mentioning to us uh, and then they very nicely hosted a, a community meeting where we were able to, to chat with people and they were also able to exchange with us, um, mainly organizers, maybe 20 or 30 people. And so much of the back and forth was around how to, the need to build solidarity internationally, how it can be done, the relationship between working class people in different places. And I think that that is, was a palpable takeaway for me because I think that, you know, obviously in the context of, of what the United States is doing to Haiti, um, I, I think it shows a super advanced level of consciousness for people to be making really strong distinctions between, you know, like who controls politics in America, who controls politics in Haiti, and like how do popular movements get together to exercise real power against these multinational corporations because they feel the brunt of that because so much of the politics is determined by what's happening outside of the country um, that, you know, the sort of it, capital is global and if labor is not global, then it'll be difficult to win. And I think, you know, in the United States, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I, there are people who I think put a... Uh, uh, a, a, a sort of maybe lesser importance of the struggle here domestically uh, to change what's going on with the, the government. And I think for them, that's the opposite. Like they want the working class in America to be organized, to be organizing against the government um, and to embrace as many people as possible, which is also something people were asking me. Um, people were very curious to know is were white people involved in any of the things that they were seeing around police brutality and protests because, you know, they know that we're not the majority of people here. Uh, and so they're thinking, okay, well, let's, what, what's up? Are these other people involved? Can we win? How can we succeed? So, you know, that thirst for knowledge about what's going on and how to not only link up movements, but to know what's happening was really palpable with so many community organizers we met. Um, we went to a meeting, a socialist meeting at the university, like 120 students. Um, really just sharp questions, discussions, placing every, it was a discussion really led about placing Haiti in the broader context of Latin America, especially and, and the regional politics. So I, I think that's something that Americans could really, and, and from the United States, I should say, uh, and our movements could take a lot from is the importance of international solidarity, building between the, the working and the popular classes between the nations in a real way, but having a true belief that despite all the differences that exist between North and South, especially, um, that there's a powerful unity that, that's possible there against a, a shared enemy. I mean, I think that's definitely not only what people say there, but it's certainly what they were looking to project back. Every person we asked, what is the main thing you want us to underline? It was that they want people to act against against Moyes. So uh, it's certainly, uh, that I would say is, is one element of it, but maybe the final piece is also just the steadfastness um, because the conditions are very tough. 
uh, very, very tough. And not only from the level of violence, but just the low level of development in the country, like things we take for granted, like being on a Zoom meeting right now and having access to high-speed internet. Like, even if you have money there, that, you know, it's not like you, you might not necessarily consistently be able to access that, which is why all these oligarchs are buying these houses in America and Canada, you know? Um, but it really, it really does, when you're doing things like popular media and different pieces like that and trying to compete, um, against also the mainstream media of Haiti, which is just like the mainstream media here, controlled by capitalists. It puts a lot of constraints on the ability to, to, to do a lot of different work. But, you know, I people are very determined there. And like I said, the spirit is really that people feel like they're going to succeed, not with like a false bravado, but that they just have confidence in what they can do. So it was impressive. Yeah, powerful lesson for us here as we also confront uh, capitalism, police repression, uh, imperialism. Um, I wanted to zoom out a little bit and talk just about your role as a journalist that's engaged in, you know, that is also a, a politician, also an activist. What do you see as the role of journalism in this fight against capital, this fight against police repression? Like, how, do, how does your work with doing things like going to Haiti and sort of highlighting their struggle, like, how does that fit into the larger uh, the larger framework of you know what you're what you're trying to accomplish what we we as you know the international working class united are trying to accomplish yeah you know i think it's 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 one of those things that i feel like everyone thinks about in a way because we consume so much media um but it sort of has been in a way neglected as sort of like a battlefront in the sort of broader battle of ideas in a way and i think that so much of like even building bridges between people in Haiti and people in the United States, like even having some medium that can show people on both sides that there are people already on both sides that want to build stronger links and acting as even just a hypothetical bridge, just in a sort of proof of concept. At least we know there are similar thinking people who exist abroad um, in and of itself, I think, is deeply powerful and something that is almost never transmitted. So, I mean, on the one, on sort of at a basic human level, I hope that we can do a lot of that. I think also just from the point of view of how do we not only shape our consciousness in like sort of the most immediate sense, like how do we get people like the, the information they need to really know what's going on in these situations, but how do we also start to create mediums that people can, can trust that also are, are consistently, not just bringing you the facts, but putting it in a context, I think, and you know, people can take it or leave it, I guess, but putting it in a context that also I think helps sort of condition a broader way of thinking, not just about the individual issues of Haiti, not just about the individual issues of the United States, but how a lot of these things start to fit together in ways that I think you can get siloed reporting, like the New York Times can write about Haiti, they can write something about the $15 minimum wage, they can write something about, you know, SPACs on Wall Street all in the same day. But, you know, there's no through line that's connecting all of those things and trying to put them in sort of an intelligible context. But that's politics, right? Is like taking all the different things that make up the world and putting them in a context, deciding what you like and don't like, and then deciding how to engage in action in order to change the things that you don't like. So I think ultimately those kind of sort of trying to, I don't want to say give people a guide, like we want to just tell people what to think, but maybe that is kind of what I say, rather than just give people a bunch of atomized information, which I think is so much of the media now. So I hope we can also give people sort of an intelligible guide in a way to help try to contextualize and understand what is an extremely, uh, uh, an extremely hard and complicated to understand world. Um, and then the sort of final piece of that, I think, is, you know, also creating a feeling that people's lives are newsworthy outside of just the it bleeds, it leads sort of reality in the mainstream media. I think like for a lot of poor and working class people, you know, you just expect for the media not to cover things. You expect for people to cover them wrong. You just like, you know, I mean, I think we all sort of know that. Like if you see some super racist segment about crime on the local news, like no one is surprised by that. Like that's just how it is all the time. And I think a lot of times, you know, it almost, it, it, it plays an important role, I think, in, a in instilling a level of demoralization in people, because I really do feel like it's information warfare on a community where it's almost just like, no one cares, no one's doing anything, they never report it correctly. So like, where's the hope? What can I do? How can things change? And I think by giving people what I believe is like a well-produced, uh, you know, and, and, and factual, substantive, uh, uh, production of the 
depredations that are being done to them through no fault of their own uh, that then can you know be seen and consumed and enjoyed by people to help people feel that their story really does matter and that it's a huge injustice that it's not the forefront of what's out there uh, and that there's a reason for that and and I think hopefully restore people's some level of hope maybe um, that that there are people out there who do care and that it is possible to bring those people together and, and maybe do something and change something. So I don't know how coherent that is, but um, I, I think those are some of the things popular media can really do. But I think it's something we really got to take up in a bigger way, and it's challenging. Um, obviously, because, I mean, like anything to do it at scale, you need money, right? So we have to come up with ways to, to fund our own movement. But either way, I think it's an area where we, we, we have to move uh, or, or we're going to be in trouble because obviously, you know, the capitalist class is spending so much money on, on propaganda and disinformation. Well, speaking of uh, the media, you mentioned a couple times um, throughout, but where can people get caught up on your coverage of Haiti as well as your show and stay in touch with the work that you're doing to bring these stories to the people. Absolutely. So on social media, we're at BT Newsroom, just at BT Newsroom uh, on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're youtube.com slash Breakthrough News. We're also, we have the Breakthrough News website. Patreon.com slash Breakthrough News is our Patreon, where we have some patrons-only content and other things that people can get. And so through all that, you can catch up on everything we're doing. Um, you know, we're doing a 20-minute podcast every day, The Punch-Out, which is, you know, news and, and information people need to know. Thursday night, streaming live on Twitter, on YouTube. Uh, uh, the Freedom Side, 8 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. Uh, we have fantastic guests like Mariah Parker. So if you like that kind of thing, uh, definitely tune into the Freedom Side. So yeah, all of that is, is an easy way. I'm at, at Eugene per year. So just my name, easy to find me on Twitter too, if, if people want to follow me. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for getting these stories out. Thank I'll you so much for having me. I really, it was an honor. I really respect all the work you do. Seriously. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So, having talked about the recent uprising and some of its sociopolitical context and the larger history of Haiti as well, let's now turn to talk about our favorite part. The rap Haitian. music. Hip-hop, yes. So we're going to talk about the rapper Izalan, who is a popular Haitian rapper. He's also a member of the LAPEH opposition party, and he was arrested recently 
by the anti-drug trafficking unit of the National Police. This was last month. Uh, Andrew Michael, a lawyer and opposition leader, alerted his followers on Twitter. He said, the DCPJ has just illegally arrested Jean-Lenard Toutpoussaint, or Isolon, popular artist. Pavelin Fazima, a lawyer who works for the Democratic and popular sector of the opposition groups, is on his way to the DCPJ. The Democratic and popular sector demands his immediate release. So Wyclef Jean, who we all know and who has recorded several songs with Isolan, posted a video on his Instagram account condemning the arrest. I'm only going to say this once, this thing. I'm not going for it. I'm not going for it. We're not going for it. Let Isolan go. Please let Isolan go, he said. The, 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 the Instagram video was a lot more like emotional than we just... Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, I'm not. I'm only going to say We're this once. We're not going for voice Oscars. This thing. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going for it. Sorry, I don't. I can't do a White Clef John voice. I don't remember what he sounds like. It's, it's been a, yeah, I don't think I've heard... Okay, so the rapper told the local radio station that he had been interrogated but did not elaborate any further. He would only say that he was not asked about his ties to Phantom 509, which is another renegade group. Uh, The current police officers have blamed them for a series of jail breaks, looting, violence, and even a holdup of the Belize national soccer team on a bus. Now, you know... Wait. Yeah, I mean they're they're trying to they're trying to you know it's one of those things where it's like from from my digging you know it's it's hard to get like a full story you know because it's like obviously if the dude is doing all this stuff then okay I guess he's a bad guy but with the way that this government is corrupt and he's part of the opposition party it kind of seems like they're just throwing some trumped up shit at him. Yeah. So let's check out some of his music. For sure. Let's check out. A track by him called Mimpapkuye, or translated into I'm Not Running. Let's check this out. Now, from all the digging, I could not find a transcript of the lyrics of the song to translate to get more of a sense of what he was saying, so wish I could offer more commentary over the actual song itself other than i think the shit was dope especially the instrumental so, yeah so we can at least describe what's happening in the music video all i know is this got honey's dancing and ski masks <laughs> outside of what looks like a castle in ruins <laughs> we got some shots of him um, in the slums with his boys you know what i mean it's like it's i don't want to say typical rap shit but you know it's some typical mainstream looking rap shit at least from this video but um, it's dope as fuck. The beat is dope, and my man's is flowing, so I, I mess. And I've honestly, I've been sleeping on like the sound of like Creole, you know. Mm-hmm. The, particularly, I mean, as as a as, you know, having studied Romance languages, the French soundingness of it stands out to me, and I'm like, damn, okay, like well, uh, the flow is just real ill. A fun fact for the people out there: I was an ESL kid. My first language before I spoke English was Creole. Uh, West oh, West shit. African Creole until I was about five, so I didn't. Yeah. Is that is that based on is that based in yeah, French? Yeah, it's based in French. That's why when I when okay, I ended yeah. up traveling later on, I picked up French probably quicker than I would if I had just gone in there being like you know English speaker. Yeah. The next track we're gonna check out is actually by the son of the uh, former president Michel Martelly. This is his son Yanni Martelly with his song. Yen Bagge, which is translated to There Are Things. So let's check this out. Okay, that was dope. Again, we're going to have to describe the video. <laughs> so. Damn, all the niggas jumping out the truck after the chase after the bitch live. going to have niggas <laughs> jump out the truck and follow her Let down the street. Let a bitch live. This got this old man spilling his drink, looking at that fine ass. That's yo, amazing. That's this that's girl's, hilarious. This girl is shit. in danger. Yo. This woman is the, in danger. The, the cops are in on it and shit. Okay, so I mean, the video starts out and he's hanging with his boys, and then he sees a really pretty girl, and you know, I guess they're trying to do the Michael Jackson, the way you make me feel thing, where he's following her down the street, but homie's got like a gang of dudes with him and shit. You can't just. 
You can't follow motherfuckers that you don't know down the street with a gang of motherfuckers. Come on, man. Yeah, I mean, what? That's one of those. It's kind of like an R&B reggae sounding song. That's one of those sort of joints where it makes me wish that, like, I had more of an ear to determine whether that stuff is like because like i hear that and to me it just sounds cool you know it sounds good but i can't determine whether he is like doper than another reggae artist you know what i'm saying so it just seems like oh okay i guess this is good but just in case there's any actual like reggae listeners i don't want you to be like man why you giving that president that former president's son props he ain't you know what i mean he don't really rock it yeah Uh, yeah, I feel like putting it in context, it'd be like if Don Jr. Yeah, exactly. dropped a, like, I'm on a boat, mother, like, whatever, like, yeah, yeah. storm the Capitol, storm the Capitol. With, like, with the way yeah, that we're uh, going, y'all, y'all look out in the next four or five years, the Baron Trump LP produced by Kanye is on the way. It's on the way. It's coming. It's coming. Leave that child alone. <laughs> that child did not ask to be born. He did not ask for that family. Well, that's what we, but word, that's yeah. what we got for the music today. Um. Yeah. You wanna, you wanna, we should, we should rap, right? Yeah, let's drop it. Joel, drop a beat. Yeah. Oh. Dope. Waiting on reparations, waiting on reparations. You wanna go first? We should. Okay, I'll go first. Yo. Yeah. Yeah, now back back to the fucking basics I got rhymes and you don't want me to waste it Don't got time to really mess with the fake shit Open your eyes and be a little replacement Face it, you need LASIK just to see they shit While these dumb billionaires are trying to see spaceships Arrested on charges that seem baseless And the cop beat my ass cause he be racist, lord This one goes out to Ernesto Guevara To San Lofichero and to Thomas Ankara This one goes out to the Indian farmers Who march in contempt of a lawless free market This one goes out to the kids of Hong Kong And the kids of Nigeria you're fighting the SARS and the kids being martyred in Myanmar Never forget what they're marching and dying for Never forget the war crimes of the force that they're fighting up May all the grave sacrifices inspire us Never accept the injustice society They'll always remember the millions of my dear Alright, that's gonna do it for us today My name's Dope Knife I'm Lingua Franco We are waiting on reparations Hurry up! See you next week Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.